What is crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. If you are listening to this podcast on Thursday, September 30th, it is Adam's 30th birthday. He is no longer a baby. So wish him a happy birthday at Frommel09. He's actually on a trip, which I could not make and was invited on. Rest assured, we're real life friends. That's what makes Hardwood Knox so fucking special and sub-mediocre at times. Anyway, we're soldiering on with our team look-aheads. We're up to the Dallas Mavericks. I have Dalton Trigg, who is the founder and lead host for the Step Back Mavs podcast. They are also under the Blue Wire Pods umbrella. He is likewise a writer and editor for Mavericks SI. Follow him on Twitter at Dalton underscore Trigg. That's at D-A-L-T-O-N underscore T-R-I-G-G. We get a great conversation, covered a lot of ground here. Luca, Kristaps Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleber, the whole nine. Please note that we talked about which big should be starting alongside KP since he's going to be playing the four. And we settled on pretty much everyone but Dwight Powell. And then it was later released as soon as we finished recording that it was going to be Dwight Powell. Maybe not as soon as we finished recording, but you get the point. So disregard that, but also our talk about fit absolutely positively matters very super incredibly quickly let me just remind you implore you continue begging you to rate review and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast download every episode it helps us out a ton if this is your first time listening to hardwood Knox because you are a mavericks fan dalton retweeted this and you're you're giving it a shot maybe you just stumbled upon us accidentally whatever throw us a permanent subscription we're worth it for the most part we cover the whole league at large, again, in a pleasantly sub-mediocre fashion. And we ask everyone to just head over to iTunes, whether or not you use it, if you have access to it, search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five-star rating, write a review, even if you have criticism, so long as you throw us that five-star rating, we do take it into heart and account. And every single rating slash review does help us out a bunch on the Apple charts. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Please remember to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. We're also on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. I'm out of breath from all this effing self-promotion. So let's get into the Dallas Mavericks with Dalton Trigg. Dalton, thank you so much for coming on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk some Mavericks with me. I think first and foremost, we have to start with a congratulations on getting access to your personal Twitter account back. That's got to <laughs> yeah. feel, that's got to feel incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a time they, you know, free agency is kind of like my time. That's when, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I get real excited for stuff that's likely not going to happen because the Mavs always strike out in free agency, but it's always a fun time nonetheless. And I was kind of on the sidelines for all that. So I'm glad they finally got me back. They doubled down and uh, made up for it and verified me recently. So that was, that was a good surprise too. So <laughs> That's a roller coaster trajectory and a lot of people don't get their accounts back. So you're probably even lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, that was a wild two month swing for me. That's a great segue though, because you mentioned uh, people getting invested in Mavericks pipe dreams and I have zero qualms about trolling any NBA team and I love doing it. It gives me life this off season. However, it just didn't feel like the offseason to troll the Mavericks because the the pipe dream equity wasn't there. It was it was Kyle Lowry or bust. And then even if you were going to contingencies, it was like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, okay, great. But is that someone to get really upset over? So do you think the 
Mavs Twitter seemed disappointed from as many people as I follow on Mavs Twitter or what was retweeted in my timeline. They seemed a little disappointed at first. Do you think the the criticism is kind of overblown for their absence of making a big swing this offseason? I think I think the criticism is overblown, but the reaction to how the offseason ended up, I it's kind of one of those things where, like, yes, it, it is overblown because the Mavs did make some good moves, even though it wasn't real splashy. They did improve their team. The roster is better than it was last year. That's just a fact. But, you know, the the reaction to that is warranted, I think, in my opinion, because of the expectations that, you know, uh, that were set at the top. You know, Mark Cuban made comments and said that this team needs another, uh, like a bona fide second score, basically. Like you got Frank Nielakina, man. Yeah. <laughs> home. Basically hinted that Kristaps Porzingis had come up short there. Uh, said they needed uh, one of the main goals of the offseason was to add some secondary playmaking and uh, ball handling to lessen Luca's load. And, you know, Kyle Lowry obviously would have helped with that. But like you said, past that, there's not really, you know, that many options there. And uh, I had heard or seen somewhere that uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, even if the Mavs had tried to get him, I think New Orleans was second on his list past Washington. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think – the reaction was warranted given the expectations, but overall, when you look at it, those expectations shouldn't have been set that high anyway, you know, based on, based on what they had to deal with this. So the, the, the problem with it was, is this was the last summer, at least for the next couple of years, right. two or three years that the Mavs were going to have a decent amount of money to spend. So that, yeah. that's where they the frustration, back. they're pretty yeah. cash wrapped. The, the real the real frustration is rooted back in 2019 when they uh, when they also had a bunch of cash to spend and they decided to just you know kind of sit on their hands and when they found out they weren't going to get Kimball Walker who they went after uh, they waited for Danny Green's decision for like five days <laughs> and wasted free agency so that that's that's where all this is rooted at and people just really just want them to spend money but yeah I mean th- this offseason it it, it turned out well for them, but uh, they'll have to go out there and win some games to kind of change people's minds. Is it fair to say that in lieu of being able to get that secondary playmaker because they, they just didn't get him, like that just didn't happen, they decided, hey, we're going to lean all the way into just Luca plus shooting at this point? I think that's pretty much what it is, you know, right now. I mean, obviously they're hoping that they have some internal development uh, from some of the guys, with you know, in that department with the secondary uh, ball handling and distributing and all that. But uh, for the most part, you know, they're they're kind of going back to what they were the season before last, before they uh, tragically traded uh, Seth Curry for Josh Richardson, which was just an absolute disaster. Uh, so they're kind of going back at the to time. I like can't even dunk on the trade right. because I was t- I understood it at the time. And I was like, oh, Josh Richardson just had a little bit of a down year in Philly. He can't get any worse. And rest assured, it got worse. Yeah, yeah, that's that's typically <laughs> that's typically the Mavs luck if you look back at some of the some of the signings they've had over the years. But I mean, I look at and somebody made the comment the other day because uh, I I put that uh, Reggie Bullock, he's going to end up uh, making a ton of threes for the Mavs this year. And he's a great corner three point shooter, which is what the Mavs need. I think he was like 46 percent from the corners last year. Uh, it's going to be a, a big upgrade for them, just like the style of player he is. And he's just an overall better shooter for his career than Josh Richardson was. And, you know, I've had some people say, well, yeah, that's what we said with Josh Richardson last year too. But I mean, 
I mean, you look at their careers and how long they've been doing this and the volume of three-point shooting and everything, and I really don't think it's close uh, between Bullock and Richardson. I think uh, I think that's going to be a much better fit, and they'll get back to the style of play we saw the year before last where they led the league in offense. Yeah, the, Josh Richardson has never been like a catch-and-shoot guy or like this motion guy, and that's very much been what Reggie Bullock has done his entire career on offense. You ask him to put the ball on the floor – there's going to be issues. It's going to be an adventure. But as someone who could play off others, I thought that was a smart signing. I thought the Knicks were dumb for not keeping him. I know they wanted to lean into shot creation, but they had Kemba and Rose and Burks and Evan Fournier. It felt like they had room to you know, not sign one of them and keep Bullock because he was also their best perimeter defender last year. And so you are getting that um, in addition to pairing with Dory Finney-Smith. I like the Sterling Brown addition too. He had a quietly good season in Houston last year, ran some point for them. And then someone else who... I don't think he's going to give you any like tertiary shot creation in real meaningful minutes, but as someone who can play off Luca and then again, also defend and defend up, like he defends bigger than he, he actually is. No, those were not home runs, but I thought they were shrewd signings in an off season where it just didn't feel like the Mavs had any other realistic options. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at that playoff series against the Clippers and uh, they pushed them to seven games. It really shouldn't have even gone to seven games because you know, uh, Luca, he was subbed out way too early in that game three where they were up so big and lost the lead and all that. But as that series went on, you, you got to looking at the roster and it's like, okay, what can they do different here <laughs> to kind of kind of put them over the top against this Clippers team? And it's just like they just ran out of options. They just didn't really – they didn't really have anybody to throw out there like like Reggie Bullock or, uh, or Sterling Brown. So – It'll be great to have them on the team this year. You know, it's two very capable players. Uh, like you said, it's not it's not like a home run type signing. Both guys have really flown under the radar, uh, in my opinion, at least from like an overall league perspective. I think most Mavs fans have kind of come around to the idea that, hey, you know, these guys are going to help a good bit. But, I mean, I'm really excited for them personally. I think uh, anybody who plays with Luka, especially if you can shoot the three, uh, is going to benefit even more from that. So I'm excited to see what they can do. Is there anyone on this roster that you can see even graduating into a facsimile of like that second option that Luca needs? And I, I think I would narrow it down. And just so we can actually talk about these players, it feels like it would be Jalen Brunson or Tim Hardaway Jr. is the closest they would come and just that's it. Or do you see anyone else on this roster that would potentially be an option there? You're talking about just like from an overall scoring like, we know like Tim Hardaway Jr. can star. make shots. We know Jalen Brunson can put, like, real pressure on the rim. But you need someone else on this team, in my opinion, to hit off the dribble jumpers. And Jason Kidd can talk about Kristaps pulling up from mid-range yeah. all he wants. <laughs> I don't want to see it. And until it starts happening yeah. and those jumpers start falling, I'm probably going to think that Brunson or Hardaway Jr. is still their second-best chance at having what I would call a legitimate number-two option, someone who's not so dependent on Luka to have their, their offense generated. Yeah, I think at this point, and Tim Hardaway Jr., he's made he's made strides since he came over from New York in that that KP trade uh, a couple years ago. But you mean the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade? The Tim Hardaway Jr. <laughs> trade is what it turned out to be. Yeah. So I mean, he's been great. Uh, he was just like a volume three point chucker at one point, but now he's taken smarter three point shots. Uh, he's worked with uh, God Sham God. Uh, on his dribbling and everything so he he's become better in that department it's not something that he's going to do regularly but he's capable of you know driving past people and getting to the rim and he had some thunderous dunks last year and that's always fun when he breaks one of those out but 
I think if I had to pick one, I would go with Jalen Brunson just because of his age. You know, he, he's a good bit younger than, than Hardaway Jr. Uh, he's gotten, if you look at his stats since his rookie year, he's gotten better every single season. Uh, so there's no reason for me to believe that he won't get better again this season. And he almost had uh, 50-40-90 efficiency last year. So he was really efficient. Uh, there were times, especially in that Clippers series, where he would take on a guy like Paul George and just – he's like a bowling ball. He just like <laughs> kind of throw him off of him and get to the rim and hit a hit a contested layup or something like that. So I think if I had to pick between the two, I feel more confident saying that, you know, Jalen Brunson could eventually – uh, you know, grow into that role. But I still would like to see the Mavs address that by either a trade or a Goran Dragic buyout, you know, something like that. Um, I, I would like to see them add to that a little bit, even if it's not, you know, adding an actual star. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree with you just based off also how Jalen Brunson played last year. His playoff performance worried me a little bit, but it's such a small sample that you can't, I guess, read too much into it. I would agree with you. They need to figure out a way to get someone else in there. I would be shocked if Goran Dragic gets bought out this season. I think the Raptors would have to be just terrible. Um, or maybe he's so bad that they buy him out. But that does feel like a very much middle of the season development. Some players in the league, it gets to a point where they're so good. It's tough to imagine what they look like if they're better. But they're also so young that it's like, okay, they didn't peak. Luka is one of those guys. MVP candidate. Can just do everything on offense. What does a better version of Luka Doncic look like at this point? Is it one that can actually get some rest? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's really funny because I, I just wrote a uh, a training camp profile on Luka for DallasBasketball.com a few days ago, and I uh, gave him a little preview at the front at the front part of it, and then on the back end, it was like, okay, expectations for Luka this season. And it was almost humorous because you get to look at what he's done over the last three years, especially the last two being a All-NBA all first-team guy two years in a row, uh, almost averaged a triple-double last year, uh, really improved his three-point shooting. Uh, he was 35% overall from the season, but, you know, from I think the last third, almost 40 games of that season last year, he shot 37%. Uh, so that's, that's continuing to get better. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I don't really know. I mean, I, the expectations are kind of the same from an overall production standpoint, but, you know, there's still areas where he can improve. The free, the free throw shooting has been a problem, uh, you know, for a guy of his stature shooting and getting to the line nearly eight times per game for his career so far, shooting 73% from the line just isn't going to cut it. He's got to improve there. Uh, he's got to work on controlling his emotions better. He got some silly technicals, almost got to a point where he was suspended, you know, towards the end of the season because of that. So he's got to get that. Uh, he's got to work on that. But, yeah, I mean, adding a guy, adding two guys like uh, Bullock and Sterling, Sterling Brown can really help him, uh, you know, take his game to the next level, like you said, just by maybe giving him a little bit more rest. You know, maybe you have more games that, you're able to put away early and he's not having to do every single thing for every single minute he's out there in order to get you a win because the usage rate really is a problem right now. And that's what they need to focus on, you know, cutting back on this year. He can still give you the production that he's given you uh, with a less usage rate. Right. And that's what, so when I was racking my brain trying to think about this, basically everything you said, what I came up with was 
Luca plays like the same amount of minutes, but he's averaging 30 and 10 because his efficiency has gone up. His teammates are hurting more of his shots and maybe his turnovers have come down because there's just more room for him to operate. And that's, you know, that it doesn't seem like that much of a leap because he averaged like 27 and nine last year, essentially. But if you're getting 30 and 10 from him on better efficiency in 34, 35 minutes, that's fucking incredible. So Jason Kidd already mentioned, did not take long that he plans to play Christoph Porzingis at the four. Um, what do you make of that? Do you support that decision? He's also says that he wants to encourage him to take different shots. I know Chris Ops was more efficient in the post last year. He was still not efficient in the post overall. Like it just wasn't that. So what do you sort of make of that? And the follow-up to that would be if we're, if Chris Ops is going to play a bunch of power forward, who is the big on the Mavericks roster that needs to log the most time beside him in those stretches? Well, the first part of that is I'm, I'm okay with it. If, if you, if say like Maxi Kleba, if he is the, the Maxi Kleba that we saw pre-COVID because he got COVID last year and when he came back from that and he, he was dealing with an Achilles issue towards the end of last season too he just wasn't the same I mean his percentage his shooting percentages were okay but on the on the defensive end it was just like he was washed uh, so I'm hoping that was just like a lingering because I mean I had COVID the end of last year and it took me like two or three months before I was like completely right you know I was still up and going around and everything but it it took me I know it and everybody, you know, it affects them differently. But uh, for athletes, kinda, said they need to use inhalers now. So like, it's right. The impact of it is real. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, if if he comes back and he's like his his pre-COVID self, where he can, he's a really good uh, rim protector, and he can still go out there and defend on the perimeter every now and then if he needs to. Then you know, putting him at the five and KP at the four, I'd be okay with that. Uh, you know, I, I think we're at a point right now with this Mavs roster, though, that I I don't, I don't think a lineup is going to be set in stone uh, throughout the season. I think it's going to depend on matchups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it's like it's like say the Utah Jazz when when the when the Mavs played them last year. Uh, they really benefited by having KP at the five and Dorian Finney-Smith at the four, you know, drawing out uh, Gobert to the three-point line and everything. So that that works well for him. I think we'll see a lot of that this season where you have a starting lineup of like Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr., Bullock, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, and KP. But, you know, it just depends on who they're playing. I, I don't necessarily like KP at the four. I think he's better as a five. Uh, if he's completely healthy, which he seems to be now, because we this has been talked about on Mavs Twitter and just Mavs fans everywhere the entire offseason. But uh, this has really been like his first fully healthy offseason ever. Like he, that he was wasn't their biggest really, offseason addition was Chris Stops yeah. with his summer workouts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that really was it because, you know, usually he's rehabbing some kind of injury he suffered uh during the previous season and then he's playing catch up getting into shape and it takes him you know a month into the season before we start seeing uh better production from him so that shouldn't be an issue this year and if all that is the case then you know I don't have a problem with it but we'll see how it goes I I prefer him at the five but you know if he plays at the four and max he's okay because he's a center that's why you right and this one flies under the radar and I know people have mixed opinions on this guy but uh Willie Colleystein he had some really good uh two-man lineup numbers with KP last year 
before they hit that stretch where pretty much everyone on the team got COVID and <laughs> missed three weeks, uh, they had some games where KP and uh, Willie were playing together and the defense was incredible and the offense really wasn't lacking that much either. So that would be something I'd be interested in seeing too. I don't know. I don't know how much Kali Stein can sustain, you know, at that level of play, like if they do it for a, a long period of games, but it, it'd be something I'd like them to stick with as long as it works. <laughs> yeah. I, I would prefer Kleba just functionally because then you have both of those guys can space the floor. And if you do want Christoph right. to vary up his offensive usage, Kali Stein is going to be occupying like, you know, Chris Thompson's going to have room to just dribble into the lane or as much room, and you definitely can't necessarily post him up in those situations. Uh, and also the Kleba Porzingis minutes in 2019, 2020, they never made sense to me because those two make so much sense together on the court and the splits weren't great. They kind of turned yeah. a corner toward the end of the year. And then that kept up. Like I looked up the data, the minutes were good with those two last year. So I like that fit better, but I did see on map Twitter that a lot of them, and I'm assuming it's because of that two man data you mentioned were very high. I'm like, Oh, it needs to be Kali Stein next to KP. Maybe that's better defensively because I've always viewed Kleba as like, he's like this, he's like a rim protector, but he's like a super mobile big where he just might be better. Like they use him to like guard Kawhi um, at points in, in previous matchups. So maybe you trust Kali Stein more as like that backline protection, but like also maybe Chris Porzingis should be doing that more. So I'm just, I'm surprised that Mavs Twitter was so, married to the idea of like Kali Stein and Porzingis playing minutes together. Well, it's more of an athletic athleticism thing too, because, you know, uh, you can throw lobs to Willie. That's a good uh, point. You, you know that he's already, you know, he's a good defender and, you know, his, his, uh, his stats back that up, you know, every time, or at least, you know, his plus minus stuff, he's like a, he's like an advanced stats darling, so to speak. Uh, but, I don't know. I, I Like I said earlier, if Kleba is healthy and he gets back to how he was defensively before he had all of his issues last year, that would be my first option there. But if it's not, if he looks like the Kleba towards the end of the year on that end of the court and, you know, it's causing issues having KP at the four and you're, and if Jason Kidd is determined to keep him at the four, then I think you have to make a move and, you know, try Willie Collistein for a little bit. I guess maybe I just have PTSD from seeing Willie Collie Stein miss too many bunnies at the rim over the course. Of the <laughs> yeah. really, really he really has look. He has his moments where you know it really head scratching moments. It's kind of frustrating and everything, but you know from an overall standpoint, it just seems like when he's on the court, even with those miscues, it seems like the team overall ends up performing better in those minutes for whatever reasons. So <laughs> if it comes down to it, I'm willing to. Uh, to live with some of those annoying moments for the greater good. Please don't let the fact that this is the official, we would die for Frank Nielakina podcast among NBA circles, but <laughs> among these players, who do you think has the best opportunity to make an impact for the Mavs this season, Trey Burke, Josh Green, or Frank Nielakina? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I'm probably, I'm going to go with Frank Nielakina just, you know, because he we does like to hear around these players. He, yeah, he's still young. He's 23 years old. Uh, the Mavs, I know they have a different regime now, but overall they're they're pretty familiar with him. They were widely expected to draft him uh, before the Knicks took him a spot ahead of uh, Dennis Smith Jr. back in 2017. So I, I think they'll get a good bit out of him. Uh, he, he has a fresh start. Uh, if you play defense, you know, it's just something the Mavs really need, especially from their guard position. So – I could see him having more of an impact this season and getting more of an opportunity. 
I will say that it was hard for me though, because I really love Josh Green. Um, I've been a big fan of him since they drafted him. I thought that was the right choice at the time. I still think he has a bunch of potential. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like to see him get some opportunities as good of a defender he is. You know, he showed a lot of flashes last year, and he really surprised me, too. I did a player profile on him recently, too. But uh, there were times last year where he he would pass the ball, and it was like flashy passes. It was on the money. Uh, okay. it, was, it was something that I didn't know he had coming out of the draft and I'm sure it surprised a lot of other people too. And I was just thinking like, man, if he can do this on at least, you know, a little bit more consistent basis, that would help with the, <laughs> the secondary uh, distributing issue that, that the Mavs have. But overall, I'm going to go with Neil Aquina, especially if he can shoot the three ball. I know it was very limited uh, volume last year for him shooting the three, but if he can shoot over 40% from three and play the kind of defense he plays, he's going to have an impact from, the moment he gets his first opportunity. I've long thought in actual seriousness that he is a three and D wing that people just viewed as a guard and they couldn't find the right role for him in New York, even though I think it was staring them in the face. So I hope he gets run with them. I will, I would die for Frank Nilakina at this point, but Josh, I, well, Josh I'll say that, oh, please go ahead. No, I'll say this. I do think he's going to, cause the Mavs have 16 guaranteed rosters right now. And I would be shocked if he doesn't end up making the the final roster. I think Trey Burke's going to be the guy that ends up getting getting cut before all this is over with. So, look in defense of Trey Burke, the Mavs might not have Luca if not for him because he helped the Knicks win some pretty meaningless games down the stretch of that <laughs> season before before the draft. So they might want to keep him on uh, for karmically. Josh Green, I would love to see him get more run. I'm just wondering if you know having Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, Tim Hardaway Jr. And then even Sterling Brown, I don't, I think I've seen some Mavs depth, depth chart projections where like Josh Green's ahead of Sterling Brown, but I would be a little bit shocked just based off the immediate expectations of this team. If he's like, even like, will he be their fourth or fifth wing? Like that's pretty hard to get minutes in that scenario. Yeah, it's going to be tough for sure because, and that's why I said, I think uh, Frank will end up getting, you know, more opportunities in the guard positions. Uh, even though, like you said, he, you think his his best spot is being a three and D wing, but I mean, it, Josh Green, he's going to have to make the most out of his opportunities that he gets early on. If he doesn't, then he very well could find himself buried uh, in the rotation again. Even though even though Rick Carlisle is no longer here and it's a new head coach and everything, uh, you know, it, we we kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt last year, Green, that is, uh, just because Rick Carlisle is famous for being super hard on rookies and not giving them a lot of run and all that stuff. But, you know, if, if Josh Green doesn't come out this year and take advantage of those those uh, early opportunities to where he can solidify a, uh, a rotation spot, then, you know, it's going to get harder and harder to, you know, keep, keep hyping him up. <laughs> but I'm holding on hope because I – like I said, I loved him coming out of the draft. I thought he was exactly what the Mavs needed at the time. I didn't think Josh Richardson, like you said, I mean, I thought it was the right move at the time too. Uh, but, you know, it just blew up in their faces and uh, he didn't get a lot of opportunity. And, you know, those those guys, the the rookies last year, they didn't even get to go play with the Texas Legends in the G League any because right. the Texas Legends didn't participate in the G League bubble. So, like, you know, even Tyrell Terry – when they assigned him to the G League, he was playing for the Memphis Hustle. And right. <laughs> he, he had his own personal stuff going on last year. So it was just a weird year. I'm, I'm hoping for a little bit more 
internal development from those guys. I do think people tend to scoff at the idea when you talk about players like that for a team that's as good as the Mavs. But when you look at just what they have in place, like those are the types of players that you need to hit on, at least until that final New York draft pick conveys and your trade asset trove just opens up a little bit. And I'm not saying because you need to use them as trade assets, but you're also now dealing with very limited cap flexibility moving forward. Like these are the types of prospects, projects that you need to hit on to deepen your team and, and bolster your rotation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Mavs draft history is horrible. Like, it just overall, if you go back looking at every year that they've drafted, I mean, Luca and Jalen Brunson in one draft is the best they've done since they got Dirk. And they didn't even draft Dirk. Right. They, I guess they didn't draft Luca either. They <laughs> <Right>. traded for him. <laughs> so, so, I mean, they, they really just haven't done that great in the draft. It, it's really sad. Uh, I mean, because you look at some of these teams, like you look at the Golden State Warriors, how lucky they got hitting on all those guys and ended up creating a dynasty. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to just have like one or two guys that they draft that turns into a really, really good rotation player. Now, given they've had guys that they've taken flyers on as undrafted free agents like Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba that have, you know, they've worked with and developed and turned them into something. But it'd be nice to have a guy, you know, a first-round pick like Josh Green or a fringe first-round pick like Tyrell Terry uh, have a really good second year and just keep developing. And then you have a, a really good asset on a, on a rookie deal that you can, you know, even if you don't keep them on, at least you'll have a guy that can produce and you could potentially use in trade packages. And then sure. all of my pipe dream uh, trade ideas won't be such pipe dreams then. Is there any insight aside from what we know about Chris Osterzingis into what we can maybe expect differently from the Mavs under Jason Kidd? Is it maybe actually getting out in transition? Is he going to bring back that wildly aggressive I don't even know what the word would be. I don't want to say ineffective, but very risky defensive style that we saw him champion in Milwaukee. Um, any clues there just to what we could expect? You know, if there's just a major functional point that, that you expect the Mavs to sort of go about differently with Jason Kidd at the helm. Given given the, the offseason and adding guys like Bullock and uh, Sterling Brown, and uh, I mean, I don't know how the center rotation stuff is going to turn out, but I really like some of the stuff I saw from Moses Brown last year. You know, that's they traded uh, Josh Richardson to Boston to get Moses Brown, and I, he may not even be on the roster by the time the season starts. He but, sometimes looks like he's wading through cement, but like he's yeah, that <laughs> might be good. Yeah, uh, the thing I've liked is you know so far the first through the first day of training camp uh, the other day they they showed him getting advice from Tyson Chandler, who's at Mavs camp, you know, coaching him up. So I think if you're going to learn from somebody, you know, former Mav that that helped lead the team to a championship, that helps a lot. But anyway, uh, I think the main thing with Jason Kidd is, like you said, they're going to get out and run more. They're not going to have near as much play calling as, you know, what they did at times with Rick Carlisle. And I've kind of joked and said that's because you probably don't want <laughs> Jason Kidd calling a bunch of plays, uh, given given his uh, previous head coaching history. But, you know, maybe he'll uh, surprise a bunch of people there. But when you have a guy like Luca who sees the floor the way he does and he's able to create his own shot, uh, he can get past a guy and see another guy in a corner or, you know, he can create stuff that – you don't have to call plays for. So mm -hmm. I think they will get out and run a lot more this season. And 
Luca, I don't know if you saw him uh, for his media day stuff, but I mean, he's in the best shape he's ever been for a for a preseason. I saw the <laughs> I saw the picture comparison. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Going around Twitter, yeah, he does look like he's in he's in really good shape. Yeah, he was not he was not in you know prime NBA shape starting last season, and his shooting percentages really struggled, and that's one reason why he didn't shoot more than thirty five percent. Uh, for the year from three because it was so awful the first like month and a half uh, that right. it just was it was playing catch up from there but I think he kind of took that to heart uh, he played uh, for Slovenia in a great Olympics run this offseason uh, and I think he really took it to heart how he started last year so I think we're going to see you know pedal to the metal from the very very beginning of this year from Luca. but and I think that'll help with you know like I said the the style difference this year for the Mavs. I think they will get out and transition more and get a lot more easy buckets because of that. We've reached the cookie cutter portion of the podcast. These are questions that I ask in every look ahead who, and this one, I know it can change based on what happens in the season. But as of right now, who do you think is the most likely player to be traded from this roster? And we've already talked about what we know they need most. Is there a player that springs to mind that you would realistically like to see them target on the trade market? Hmm. I'd say I want to say Dwight Powell just because I would like to see Dwight Powell traded. What is the attachment to Dwight Powell with him? Is it just a cultural touchstone thing? I don't think there's an attachment to him as much of an attachment to him now as there was, you know, during the Rick Carlisle era and Donnie Nelson era. But I think it's at a point now to where it's like, well, you know, he's making what $11 million this year and next season. Uh, so that, that contract was a, it was a bad contract from day one. Uh, so that it's just going to be hard to trade him because I mean, he, he's a good leader. He's a, you know, everybody likes him and he's real athletic and everything, but, uh, unless he gets back to what he was before he tore his Achilles, uh, I mean, they're just kind of stuck with it there. So I don't know. I, I'd, I'd kind of like to see them do something with his contract, even if they have to add in a, an asset to you know, to move off of it. But I I hate to say it, but probably Jalen Brunson if they don't come to an agreement on a contract extension. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he the way his contract was set up, it was just a straight four-year deal. And, uh, you know, there was no option or anything like that. So at the end of this year, instead of going into restricted free agency, like, like a lot of guys would, uh, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So if they don't come to an agreement on an extension as it's getting closer to the uh, the trade deadline, I feel like that's a guy who you could include in a trade and get a good bit of value for back for, because he is, he's really good. I think he has the potential to be a starting point guard, uh, you know, on another team somewhere. So I think that's, I think he'd be an attractive asset and I think they could get a, a good bit back for him. And as far as a guy that I would like for them to target, uh, it kind of gets back into the – and you said realistic, I think, which I tend to struggle with when making <laughs> fake trades. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm still keeping my eye on Zach Levine. I know the Bulls made a lot of moves this offseason, and, you know, they had a really splashy offseason and everything. But I'm interested in seeing just how good that team is. Like, I expect them to make the playoffs, but I don't know that they'll be in the top half of the, the East. You know, I, I just want to see how good that team is as it's, as uh, they're approaching the trade deadline, because 
like Jalen Brunson, and obviously it's two completely different level players, but uh, Zach Levine, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent um, next summer if they don't come to an agreement on an extension. So uh, that, that that's what I would, you know, set my sights for. And as far as under that, I'm really not sure. I don't know. I don't want Ben Simmons. Uh, <laughs> two names for you to consider that are definitely tiers below the names you're thinking because I just don't see how the Mavs have the equity to get those types of guys. Um, this would be the more ambitious one. But if the, if the Spurs eventually lean into their rebuild and they just decide this guy's a little bit too old or the upside isn't there, Derek White, big fan of Derek yeah. White, and you have the contracts to match. So what type of draft equity? Do they like Jalen Brunson, any of the other players on your roster? The other one I think is eminently more gettable, and I think Mavs fans who are listening to this podcast are going to absolutely despise it. I would just argue for them to go dig into the data a little bit about what he does. Eric Gordon would be a great fit for this team to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I would be, I would be fine with an Eric Gordon trade. Um, I, I like the type of player he is. I think he fits into what, what this team is trying to do right now. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because it's, it's kind of like that, uh, that James Harden Rockets esque type of offense that they're going to be doing now, uh, where they're just running a lot and shooting a bunch of threes and everything. So. I mean, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be fine with Eric Gordon. I don't know exactly how much he's making, so I'd, ha I'd have to dig into that like and see. Two, it's his third year of his contract is unless, is is basically non guaranteed. It's so it's like two years and thirty eight million. Um, the health is the major concern, but when you look at him as just taking ultra deep threes and spacing the defense that way, he was also before he got injured one of the five most efficient finishers on drives last year. So. Just as now that you're the Mavs, if you were planning on having cap space, I get why you don't want Eric Gordon on your books. But now that cap space is gone and that's over, I would welcome Eric Gordon on my books if I was the Mavs at this point. Right. Yeah. And I, whatever that average, the Mavs still have a, uh, I think it's, is it 18 or $19 million trade exception? No, it's um, not that much, is it? I can look that up as we're speaking. Um, my next question yeah, look, to you, though is who is the, uh, who do you what do you think should be this team's go-to crunch time lineup? Crunch time lineup, I would go with and it, it on it honestly it, it would depend on what team you're playing. But if I just had to, you know, count on somebody to get a bucket, I'd go with Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney Smith, and KP. I think that's where I'd land too. Like you said, it's matchup based, but I think is like a crux of a lineup. I think KP at the five just makes the most sense to close with. Yeah, and I mean, if we're just talking about, because I think that that lineup has some good uh, uh, defensive capabilities. Like uh, Luca, I know he got some some flack for how he played on defense earlier in his career, but he was actually pretty good last year in in certain areas. You know, when he wasn't you know yelling at referees. <laughs> But he uh, he was better on the defensive end. Tim Hardaway Jr., that's one place where, you know, he used to just be a, a swinging door on defense, but that's another area he's kind of improved on uh, at least a little bit since he came over from New York. Like you said, Reggie Bullock, he's he's a good perimeter defender. Dorian, Dorian Finney-Smith is too. And then KP, if he's completely healthy, we know what he can do on that end. It's just, uh, you know, when he was recovering from that meniscus injury, his lateral movement just was not there. It was just completely non-existent. Uh, every time the Mavs played the Portland Trailblazers, I just – I cringed because I knew what Dame Lillard was going to do to him on a switch, which he does to a lot of people. But, 
you know, it just, it, it gives the appearance of KP just not trying when in all reality, he just didn't have the physical ability to, you know, keep up with it. So I'm hoping that's better this year. Yeah. Having watched but, a lot of earlier KP when he was healthier, I think he, you know, he's not going to be like holding, I mean, Maxi Kleeb was probably better to hold up in that situation, but he was not like the, you know, the deer on ice that he was uh, last season as often. Um, and Dorian Finney, Dorian Finney Smith. I mean, he had some really clutch moments uh, for the Mavs last year, uh, you know, through the regular season and he hit some big shots in the, in the postseason, at least during those first couple of games where they took a 2-0 lead. So, I mean, I, I think uh, I think having him in a crunch time lineup, and it, this is his sixth season in the league, so I feel like he'll, you know, continue to get more experience and be better in those situations too. Is there a really weird oddball lineup that maybe Jason Kidd would never try that you still want to see them roll out? Well, you know, Rick Carlisle, he was – he loves short guards. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's actually that not too, that's but. not fair because as you said, he liked to go with a, a bunch of guards. So I should I'm gonna retract that. And a bunch of guards is pro fun. Please Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I always it was always a joke uh between me and my my co-host Matt Galatson on our our own podcast. We've you know, if if Rick Carlaw had five guys under six feet <laughs> that he could roll out in one lineup, he probably would. Uh, so now if, if we're just being funny here, you know, you look at the Mavs roster, they currently have six bigs and which I think is ridiculous. I think they really do need to make another move before the start of the, uh, the start of the season, just to kind of, you know, balance that out a little bit, either get another wing or, uh, just for depth reasons, or, you know, finally address their secondary ball handling or, <laughs> distributing that was stated as a top priority and here we are close to October and they still haven't addressed it so I think they should do that but you know if they ran out Luca and just like a just a massive lineup you know just have a KP at the five have Maxi at the four uh, uh, Willie Collistein you know throw in all the centers there just put Luca in centers and see what happens I went the complete opposite (laughs) direction I would like to see Luca, Frankie Smokes, Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Luca now, plus a bunch of pro defense wings, and it's yeah, super now, small. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, no, that would be fun too. Yeah, put Luca at center, and you know, let him play like uh, Nikola Jokic, and <laughs> put a bunch of smaller uh, defenders. Well, really not smaller, but just athletic defenders around him, and see what they can do. I think that'd be fun. As we record this, the Mavs' current win total over under set at 48.5 are you taking the over the under on that and where would you sort of place them within the rest of the western conference at this point i'm taking the over uh i think and i know that's shocking coming from somebody who's (laughs) who covers the mavs and is around the mavs all the time and everything but i really do think this team will have a lot of regular season success i think the areas they need to address on the roster will become more prevalent when they get to the postseason they 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 have time to address that but as currently constructed I think they'll win a lot of regular season games I think they'll win at least 50 games uh you know if not slightly over that and end up getting in that top four in the west for the regular season now, like I said when they do get to the postseason they're I hope they've addressed some of these issues that uh, plagued them last year because I mean they were still fifth in the West last year after having all the issues with players out there. They were one of the top, I think they were the top two teams, uh, them and some other team that had missed the most combined games due to players being out 
uh, with COVID. Stop tracking and, that last year because it was so depressing. So yeah, I'll take your word for it. Was awful. <laughs> yeah, they were they were in the top two. I don't know who the top team was, but they were in the top there for guys that missed. Uh, like I said, you had KP uh, recovering from the meniscus injury and trying to get back in shape. Luca didn't start out the season in the best of shape. And despite all of that, they still ended up being uh, fifth in the West. So I think they'll end up with home court this year. Uh, I, I personally think they'll end up being uh, in that third spot when the season's over. Uh, but, you know, third or fourth, that's where I see them being this season. Their ceiling to me is first because the West is so wide open. And I think the way they're built to play is great for the regular season. As you've already brought up is the playoff concerns. I, I might go under just because they have a new coach and because I've picked so many overs throughout these podcasts, but I will eventually do a, an exclusive over under podcast. So I'll think about it more there. Um, is there anything I did not ask you about this team or anyone I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be really covered, covered really quickly before I get you out of here? I think the Jason Kidd stuff is something to watch because I know a lot of people have been pessimistic about, you know, they think it's just going to be a disaster. And like I said, given how his previous head coaching stops have gone and some of the stories that have come out of, you know, how he was towards certain players and everything, I power get it. Power struggles behind the scenes. Yeah, too. right. Power struggles and everything. I understand why people are pessimistic about it, but – if you look at what he did as an assistant coach with the Lakers the last two years, and he's he's admitted that he jumped into head coaching far too quick. And, you know, he should have started out uh, learning as an assistant first before getting into that. So he's admitted that. Uh, he's had all the reports coming from, you know, people with the Lakers have been nothing but, you know, good the last couple of years. So the, the more recent stuff is good. Uh, you know, he he's friends with Mark Cuban. Uh, he's friends with Dirk Nowitzki, who is uh, now a special advisor for the front office. Uh, Nico Harrison, him him and uh, Nico Harrison were reportedly a package deal uh, for the Mavs. So, you know, they GM, head coach, I don't think there's going to be a power struggle there because they're friends uh, and they've been friends for a long time. So, and, and I think he relates to Luca on more of a personal level than like Rick Carlisle did because – uh, I asked Mark Cuban the other day about it, and he was just, you know, he was just saying how he thinks Jason Kidd's a top three uh, point guard in league history, and that, uh, you know, that his experience is going to mean everything for furthering Luca's development. And he can, you know, it, it's a guy that maybe Luca can trust more uh, in crunch time situations, or at least guiding him on because he's been there and done it before. So. I mean, that, that's the only other thing I would touch on. I think there's a lot of stuff that's that's come out. Uh, and, you know, even Jason Kidd's personal life in the past, it's been, you know, there's been some bad stuff there. But uh, I think now, just talking about now, him with the Mavs, uh, coaching Luca and everything, I think it's going to end up being more positive than what people think. He's in a – when you look at the on-the-court stuff, I just need to see it happen to believe it. I wasn't a fan of the hire – and just so people don't think we're glossing over the off court stuff, and I, like and I wasn't. To be clear, I wasn't either. I wanted no. to uh, hire Jamal Mosley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, Rick Kyle did not. Rick Carlisle did not want the Mavs to do that, though. That was. I know. But the the Jason Kidd domestic pleading guilty to domestic violence in two thousand one, I think, was the year. I that I I wasn't a fan. Obviously, you're not a fan of that. I didn't think that the Mavs adequately answered to that during his introductory press conference. That being no. said, to hear Cynthia Marshall who identifies as a domestic uh, abuse survivor, I believe, say that she spoke with him 
I, that doesn't make, I'm, it makes it difficult more because I want to respect her opinion of all opinions as someone who is a domestic abuse um, survivor. So that decision, I still wasn't a fan of it, but if that happened, that happened on the court specifically, I don't trust it. But as you mentioned with the Lucas stuff, and there's a very high opinion among Jason Kidd and his ability to relate to players around the league. That's even Giannis liked him in Milwaukee, even though I think Jason Kidd actively damaged Giannis's progress in Milwaukee. So on the court, I, I do think it's wait and see, but I think after Brooklyn and Milwaukee, I'm like, I need to see like Jason Kidd, like adapt as a coach before I'm just ready to believe it. And that's completely fair. Everybody, you know, that that's how most people are. You know, uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that's been the same way. It's like, you're, you're optimistic about it, but you still, you want to see it first. And I mean, another thing is Dirk Nowitzki, he's still like, he's his, his, carry on. his, yes. <laughs> I mean, his opinion is heavily weighed <laughs> with it, with what the Mavs uh, do, especially since they added him as a special advisor. So when he gave his blessing uh, to hiring Jason Kidd, I, that, that was pretty much it. So, I mean, I know there was a lot of complaining about it, and I was part of that at the beginning too because I really did like Jamal Mosley. But, uh, you know, after a certain point, it was just like, you know, it is what it is. Might as well look forward to it, be optimistic. Because when you have Luka Doncic on your team, I don't really think it matters about – I, I don't know Kidd. how Jason – like, you don't, you don't fuck <laughs> up Luka. There's the, so yeah. there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the X's and O's stuff doesn't really matter as much when you have a guy like Luka. They're going to win a bunch of games regardless. You could you could have a mascot as your head coach and still win a bunch of games. So I still need to know what happened between Luke, Rick Carlisle and Jamal Mosley. If anyone has the lowdown on it, at Danfa Valley in my DMs, I need to know. But, Dalton, you've already stayed five minutes longer than I said I'd keep you. Can you just let our <laughs> listeners know where they can find you and your work? Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Dalton underscore Trig. That's T R I G G. Not suspended on Twitter, am I, Dad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that again. yeah. <laughs> Verified and unsuspended, so that's good. Uh, but yeah, at Dalton underscore Trig with two G's, and then uh, we post all of our podcast stuff. We have uh, the Mavs Step Back podcast, and you can find that at Step Back Mavs. It is a great podcast. Dalton, thanks again for giving me some of your time to talk about Dallas. And rest assured, I will be pestering you again in the future. So thanks once more for coming on. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Good stuff.